This is episode 77 of Cinescope, and I'll be right here. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is Don Shanahan to talk about one of our favorite films, E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Don, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, Chad. Thank you for having me back. It's nice to see you off of hiatus and to fire this up again. Yes, I've got to say, it felt real good to read that opening paragraph for the first time in a while. I bet. I bet. <laughs> I want to apologize to everybody out there. This was totally unintentional. Uh, this is being the first proper episode of Cinescope since February. That was right before I left to San Antonio for a conference. And then I got back and it was just like, well, now we've got UIL for a competition for my orchestra in a couple of weeks, and I've got this, and I've got this, and now we're in the final six weeks of school, and hopefully I'll be able to get this ball rolling a little bit more regularly, uh, because, man, I miss it, and yeah. so I'm glad to be back. No, as a fellow school teacher, I feel your pain. When is that magic last day of school? I know you got the countdown somewhere. <laughs> I do. We're in the final less than 30 days at this point, I think. I think it's June 5th or June okay. 6th. That, uh, I think I'm a yeah. June 12th guy because we had a, we have to come back on Monday because we had a snow day up here where we're like, ah, uh, we got to yeah. bump one day. Uh, that's a bummer, but still not too far off. We're getting close. No, not bad. We're on, we are also under 30. Great. There, there it is. Under 30 for the win. <laughs> and mm -hmm, then we right. have several uh, days and months of break, fortunately. Do you, uh, just sidebar question, I know it's a distracting thing to get us going, um, do you feel like you pretty hit it pretty hard in the summer? Do you find yourself seeing more films and having more time? Do you, do you take that teacher's free time to really absorb and, and catch up, or is it nice to have summer and even make sure that that goes a little slower, too? A little of both. I, I do uh -huh. feel like I see movies a little bit more often, just because I get the, the chance to not go to work those eight hours a day and uh, not have to feel mentally the need to feel mentally fresh for my students. So, uh, yeah, I, I get to go to the movies more often, especially with a summer like this one we've got coming up. There's big release mm -hmm. after big release, starting with Infinity War, really, this weekend, and I'll be seeing that tomorrow. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to relaxing and hopefully diving into my Blu-ray collection a little bit more, too, because I'm behind on that. I hear you. I, the to-do list never ends, let me tell you. <laughs> That's the truth. Well, moving things right along, I do want to thank MRushing02 for our latest review. I don't remember exactly when that happened, but it has been since last official episode. So thank you for the review. And uh, I'm hoping that this episode sort of starts off a sort of Spielberg or Spielberg adjacent month. I'm really wanting to talk about the Goonies soon, too. So uh, maybe May will be Spielberg month. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, you know, coincidentally, um, I know we kind of found each other with this film we're going to talk about today, where um, I'm actually hosting um, at a local theater here, kind of being the critic dude. Um, uh, I'm hosting a, a kid's film series where we have um, 
kind of um, kid-specific screenings with talkbacks afterwards where we try to have more critical thinking questions, but really targeted to the kids for Q&A instead of the adults. And uh, this past weekend, we just had E.T. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, next week, not uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, we actually have the Goonies because our, oh, our theme is mischievous kids. So we did uh, Willy Wonka. We have E.T. We'll have Goonies, Big, and then, um, oh, I'm going to miss the last one, Home Alone. So there's Very our cool. five set. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I, I just talked to Aaron White over at Feel and Film about, and Patrick, of course. I was on to talk about Moneyball, mm-hmm. and we talked about Aaron's recent experience talking about La La Land with a live audience after viewing and sort of debating its merits and demerits, I suppose, afterwards. And then Patrick talking to kids at a local middle school about podcasting. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love that idea of bringing this to the general population outside of just like you and me, we're movie people and Aaron and Patrick are movie people and people at a middle school or people just out in the public maybe aren't the same. And I love the idea of bringing the merits in of this kind of discussion into the real world proper. Absolutely. And, and I, and with you and I as school teachers, I, I know we know how to carry ourselves in front of a crowd and know how to approach children with it, which I really enjoy because I, I've seen the Q&As at more artsy-fartsy things, and it's just really dry. But you have kids that w- just got done watching a movie with a lot of enthusiasm or a lot of heart, and they just open up. They're a fun bunch to talk to, I must say. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'll have to try something like that sometime. Well, With that, let's go ahead and dive into our movie. We are talking about E.T. the Extraterrestrial. This was sort of inspired by some recent discussion in the Feel and Film Facebook group uh, because some people like this movie and some people don't. And I don't understand the latter, but I'm excited to dive in. No, um, to get to give some stats, just to kind of, you know, pace this along. uh, The film was released in June 11th, 1982. Um, Fun fact there, it, um, it stayed in theaters um, as if we're watching movies coming out in theaters now that last maybe, you know, eight to 12 weeks. It stayed in theaters over a year, over 53 weeks, and wow. it just raked up past Star Wars at the time for being the highest grossing film um, at that time. It got passed again then by, coincidentally enough, Spielberg's film Jurassic Park in 1993. So um, quite a, quite an impressive thing. It's directed by Steven Spielberg. His resume speaks for itself, but to throw some names out there for those folks who needed our Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the other Indiana Jones films. Schindler's List, his Oscar winner, Jurassic Park, Saving Private Ryan, Catch Me If You Can, Lincoln, Warhorse, the BFG, last year's Oscar nominee, The Post, and he's raking in theaters right now with Ready Player One. From that list, Chad, which one uh, do you have a top Spielberg film? Oh, man, you're asking the hard questions. No. <laughs> I've got to say, I love Lincoln. Like Lincoln, okay. it's not maybe the popular choice, but I have so much love for Daniel Day-Lewis in that role mm-hmm. and the the emphasis on history and real focus on drama. It is just, oh man, that film is so special to me. Yeah. I admit as that film critic, I, I have the hard time where I, if you ask me best, then I also have to think of favorite. For me, his best is probably in the artsy fartsy department to use the word again, it's probably Schindler's list for saving private Ryan in terms of uh, favorite for me is the one we're talking about today. ET is just well, way up there on the, on the love chart. So tell us more about the film. Yeah. If you ask me the one that makes me cry yeah. the most, it is ET <laughs> just to oh, throw that out there. If you'd see me 20 minutes ago, finishing up this film, I'm just a mess. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I cried in front of children this past weekend. So, oh yeah. <laughs> it was written by Melissa Matheson. Uh, Music by John Williams, who, mm. I mean, for, for oh, his yeah. 
I don't need to go into detail. I, I never have to. It's Spielberg's filmography plus Star Wars, the first three Harry Potter films, and lots more iconic films. Uh, so thank you, Mr. John Williams. And this is a special one for sure. Mm-hmm. It stars Henry Thomas, Pat Welsh, D. Wallace, Peter Coyote, Robert McNaughton, Drew Barrymore, Casey Martell, Sean Fry, C. Thomas Howell, and Erica Eliniak. There it is. Erica Eliniak, yep. So uh, personally, looking at that cast list, there's not one that necessarily stands out to me as big name star. Drew Barrymore, certainly, uh, nowadays. But there's none of those names that have really stuck around that I'm aware of. And I think that sort of draws to the, the... I don't know the innocence of the film and not I having so. a certain big name person attached to it. Right. I mean, you have steady careers there. You know, Peter Coyote has been a voice actor for a, a long time. Uh, D Wallace had a good career before this film. Henry Thomas still acts to this, to this day. It's is just in a lot of supporting films. He definitely wasn't catapulted to be a star the way that Drew Barrymore kind of came out of this as a star. Um, seen Thomas Howell's done some stuff. This was his film debut. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm a dirty horn dog kind of guy, Eric Alaniac, ended up jumping out of a cake topless and under siege that always works. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I think the, the unknown quality of the actors um, helps because I, I, and I know Spielberg has gone on to work with the best people um, where occasionally you get these amazing films where you're, you're, they're really creating an environment, but sometimes they're creating this environment and all you see is, Oh wow, look at that. That's Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, it's hard to separate when it's, you know, so many known people. I think that's why recently one of my favorites from him is Warhorse because mm-hmm. other than a, a, a then kind of not so super known Benedict Cumberbatch and a then not so super known uh, uh, Tom Hiddleston, that, that film is mostly unknowns and I think right. it, and, uh, and then it follows a horse. So I think that those kinds of films to me on his filmography play, play better than the whiz bow wham of star power. Like even Ready Player One doesn't have a super huge star there and it, it, it it's better for it a little bit i agree uh do you remember your first time watching this movie back in 1982 oh gosh no um i would have been <laughs> um i'm i'm 38 and born in 79 so i would have been three years old okay. i don't remember watching it i remember owning it i remember um I remember owning a copy of the VHS tape that came from McDonald's. I remember the side of the I remember the side of the VHS case having a McDonald's logo on it because it was some like eat this many meals prize redemption thing <laughs> where I, I don't know. I, 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 my brain just sees the, the the VHS sleeve with the McDonald's logo down in the corner where it was like an exclusive get for doing a thing. So I remember by owning it, having that be on, on replay and being a frequent thing. But no, I don't remember the first time. I do remember being scared more than loving it, where I don't think this film really clicked on another level to me till I saw it when I was older. So um, it wasn't a cuddly family favorite. It was it was more a watch it, watch it to distract yourself while mommy's doing something kind of thing. It wasn't a – I wish I could say I have this like – back of a station wagon at a drive-in or a, a cuddly couch family memory story to it, but I don't. Do you have, what's your first experience with it? See, I don't remember my first time either. I, I remember moments from the film as I mm-hmm. do with a lot of films from that, that time in my life. I remember the Reese's pieces. I remember the solar system where ET simulates it floating through the air. I remember Elliot cutting his hand on the or the finger on the saw, and mm-hmm. then I remember the the scary laboratory scenes where ET is mm-hmm. dying, and uh, that's what really stands out to me is sort of 
what you what you were saying, being scared while watching this movie. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, even getting older, I don't think I truly have a first experience that I remember with this film seeing from mm -hmm. start to finish until I was more or less an adult. And sure. so I don't have necessarily a lot of nostalgia love for this movie. I, I have a lot of genuine, I think this movie is great love for this movie. Me too. Me too. So, I mean, when it comes to repeat viewings, um, what has kind of evolved for you? I, I, it's, it's like, for me, the fear hasn't subsided. I still get tense. Even though I know he's going to be fine in those hospitals slash medical scenes, I, I'm still clamped up every time. For me, I, I always latch on to the, the interpersonal relationships. I latch on really heavily to Elliot and to E.T.'s friendship and their connection. And I mean, mm -hmm. that, that's, that's just a, a through point with me with any movie. How to Train sure. Your Dragon is possibly my favorite uh, animated movie of all time. Yeah. And you could get that same sort of companionship in that movie as you do here in E.T. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, there's a scene that almost echoes the forbidden friendship scene uh, in How to Train Your Dragon with Elliot and E.T. interacting for the first time in the bedroom. Yeah, uh, definitely. Very little dialogue, just... Mm -hmm interacting with each other something that has changed for me with repeat viewings at least recently is becoming a parent um you know i, I now I, I i put the poll question out there when i was when i was uh, hosting this film this past week about like what age would you show this to your children because i have a, a five-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son where i don't think the three three-year-olds ready for it, but my five-year-old might um and i'm like you know could could she handle this film and i kind of wanted that kind of fellow parent or fellow, you know, opinion advice of what's a good age to watch this film, to have that first experience. And I know, unlike my first experience with this film, I want to cuddle on the couch with my daughter and go, Hey, I got this great movie for you. I really think you're going to like it. And it's in NCT, you know, and, and, and have that pause and ask questions if she has to, or, or come on over and hide in my lap kind of thing, if you're scared. And, and, um, but I, I don't, at five, I don't think she can hang. Um, I think the consensus number I got in a couple of polls was about eight. That's sort of what I lean to. I mean, I'm not yeah. a parent, but I think this is the kind of movie I would want to, or I would want somebody else to remember the details yeah. of the film uh, their first time watching it. And I think eight is right around that age where that's mm -hmm. really going to lock in. You know, yeah. I, I remember snippets of my very first movie in the theater uh, when I was five, but Okay. Even then, it's it's snippets. I remember yeah. specific moments while watching that movie, and I don't remember all of that whole first experience. Okay. So you, I mean, going into the film, I know you talked about the through point in terms of interpersonal relationships. What part of the story uh, do you like most, or what stands out for you from this, you know, revered classic? Um. Well, I I love a lot of the cinematography in this film, uh, mm. and. That the first one that really stands out to me, and it's not something I'd ever noticed before, was the contrast right off the bat of us seeing the spaceship through the trees and yeah. it being a mystifying sight to us as humans. Mm -hmm. And then E.T. looking out through those same trees out at the city and yeah, that being definitely. mystifying to him. And it's just mm -hmm. a, a matter of perspective. This is a new yeah. world for us seeing a spaceship and a new world for him seeing a vast city uh, with people he's never interacted with, a species he's never interacted with. I'm right there with you with perspective. Something I learned about the film recently that I that I saw but never noticed and thought it was intentional. Um, Spielberg shot the film predominantly for 90% of the film um, at a child's eye level. 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, intentional low angles, intentional low point of view. I mean, obviously it's seen a lot with, with our Peter Coyote character of keys, you know, where, um, you know, every time we see kind of the humans, it's almost like a Tom and Jerry cartoon where we only see them from like the waist up because of that's the height of our characters and our viewpoint, or even the height of ET where I like that very intentional use of the low angles where, yeah, the adults are, the adults are seen as being above this, not, not into it ready for what's happening or even aware and noticing what's happening below them a lot of times especially with d wallace's character but i like how that was a cinematography choice to like you said with perspective to bring it down to that level that's something i learned recently and i i made a point to pay attention to this pre- last time i saw it and that really was impressive to me like I, the only shot i remember like the one that was most obvious is not being at that waist level was finally when they're back at the house and the medical and science teams are there and the camera's above that walking tunnel. And then mm-hmm. finally, then you're above where the kids are because now the situation in a way is elevated higher than where the kids can control. I thought, you know, where those intentional choices of perspective are really fascinating. You remind me of Roger Ebert's review for this film, which isn't so oh, much a review. Okay. I have never read or seen his review for this. Oh man, it is something so special. It's written as a letter to, his grandchildren. How about where that? Where he wow. he's talking about viewing this movie with them and mm. looking th- looking at the film through their eyes and seeing how they react to the film and how they understood things about the characters based on the perspective of the camera and how yeah. uh, it, it's just so special. I, I would love to just like sit here and read the whole thing on the podcast, <laughs> but I'll put it in the show notes instead because it is good. such a fantastic review. Um, I will hit that up after this. You bet. Now, other shots that stand out to me, um, there's, the I think, one of the more obvious ones where Elliot is first looking for E.T. in the backyard, and you mm-hmm. have the moon shining down and the fog, and then you've got oh, the, yeah. the shed with the light, just mm-hmm. beaming light out of it, and it, it's totally otherworldly. I enjoyed the, the soft, almost stained glass, church-like atmosphere that the closet got with the stuffed animals, where mm-hmm. that was like the little protected space for Big Brother, Little Sister, and Elliot. And I liked how that was... um. Every time E.T. was there, it was a safe place for all of the, all of the children in, in, in E.T. And I like the look of that, those scenes as well. The, the way Spielberg uses certain items in the, the story, the, the use of the flowers to signify mm-hmm. E.T.'s life force, that's such a powerful storytelling yes. device, especially when you get towards the end and the, the resurrection. Well, the death first and then the resurrection. Oh, yeah. Having Mike see the, the flowers and knowing instinctively that these are dying and so E.T. must as well. Mm-hmm. And then Elliot walking away from E.T.'s body, seeing them start to bloom again and understanding, mm-hmm. oh, he's back. And we have to get him out of here. Uh, that, that's such a, right. uh, I don't know what the, the, the specific term for that would be, but it's such a unique way to signify a, a, a special story moment, a story beat uh, without having to completely explain it to us. We understand right. with the characters. Could that almost be, well, we can make a fancy term here, you and I, is that more like uh, symbiotic symbolism? You know, yeah, is it something like that? Well, yeah. there we go. Symbiotic <laughs> symbolism. Put it in Wikipedia right now. Sounds good. Um, any other aspects of the filmmaking really catch your eye? Uh, looking at this from a, kind of a technical angle, as much as you as a story or development angle. I like that initial scene where Elliot is at school and E.T. starts exploring the house. And this isn't the first mm-hmm. instance where we start seeing the connection between them. There are a couple of smaller moments while they're together at the house. Yeah. But 
that that scene where Elliot's at school and we see E.T. exploring and Mm -hmm. exploring the fridge and watching TV and reading the comic. And you see E.T. putting all these pieces together. And then you see Elliot reacting to what Mm -hmm. E.T. is experiencing for the first time uh, while at school. And so, uh, again, it's Spielberg telling us a story and giving us things to look out for and understand without just explaining them to us. Agreed. You know, um, the 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 exposition level is, is so low that even even when all the science guys show up, that's never really like there's not a sit down speech like, hey, guys, here's what's happening. You know, that Peter Coyote gives the family. We're just reacting to it. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed that. It wasn't like force fed. There's no, you know, prologue and epilogue bumpers of, you know, a long time ago, a galaxy far, far away. We don't need any of that stuff. We can just experience and watch as if we're an uninformed kid too you know so i do like how they played that do you have any specific favorite scenes in this movie oh good question um i mean the school scene's fun you know especially being a school teacher you know (laughs) now i've never had to you know i'm I'm elementary so we're not dissecting frogs or anything but you know i I love you know i'm a quiet man fan so you know to see the john wayne Catherine o'hara kiss play out was fun um (laughs) oh man i mean Everyone loves the last 15 minutes of the film where that's, it's almost one complete musical composition from, from Williams, where it goes from escape chase finale credits. And, you know, and in one long orchestrational beat, you go through the highs and the lows of that story and the, in the, in the closure of it all. So it, it, it's hard not to look at those last, that ending, peak and not go wow that that that's the one you know so yourself do you have anything that uh, you said the school scene a little bit there's and then the introduction of the spaceship at the beginning what else kind of pings well i've got to say that that last 15 minutes which i'm sure is cheating in some way to say that's my favorite but yeah the the bike chase and the flight and then the departure of et is 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 the very definition of iconic and i can't imagine a scene in any movie that finds me more invested or or more emotional that even just thinking about it honestly right it it, it's 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 beyond words it's amazing. Um, I, I, I'm always amazed by that story that I've heard about it where um, uh, Williams wrote the music um, and he wrote that unified huge piece and um, he did it without seeing Spielberg scenes. Um, Spielberg said, no, 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 you write the music. I'll edit my film to the things you make in music. You know, so that, when I think of the editing for this to 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 do the opposite of what we normally get where we're a finished edited piece is something that the composer then chops and makes, you know, piece there that his contribution, his or her contributions for, but for Spielberg to see Williams's greatness and say, no, 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 I'll shape my movie to you because you're driving this car right now in terms of the, the tone of everything that may also makes those last 15 minutes just sore. There's a, another thing I want to put in the show notes. It's a video of Spielberg and Williams sitting together at a piano and Williams just mm. sort of taking him through the music and thinking, okay, well, let's see how this applies to the, this scene and see how we can fit this together. And so that, that's uh, another great thing for you to check out later. Yeah, I'm in for that. You bet. Uh, no, our characters. What about Elliot? Do you have to say? I love Elliot. You know, um, I, in my family, I'm, I'm big brother. So, I mean, I definitely, I definitely steer to Robert Norton's character a little bit, but at the same time, um, you know, I'm, 
I, I'm a family. I'm from a family of divorce. Now my parents didn't divorce till high school, but I know what it's like when dad's not around and mom's doing her best, and you kind of get forgotten along the way. So, I, I know where Elliot's coming from a little bit. Is the you know the kid that no one listens to a little bit, but at the same time, longs for something to put connection to. So, I, I really liked um, Henry Thomas's performance, where I, I don't find him to be an overcoached or overemphasizing, you know, overdoing it kind of pretentious child actor kid who's, you know, been doing this for three years and, or, you know, in the eighties came from star search and is the, a theater nerd, you know, where <laughs> it, it, it didn't seem overcoached. It just felt so natural. And for all I know, he, that was pure coaching and he's a pro and he came into this. I, I don't remember his casting story out of how unknown he was at the time, but I, I love how approachable and natural his, his performance was. Um, I do know that they shot this in sequence where they wanted those genuine reactions to come along the way at the same time that the characters are experiencing them. So, that, I mean, I think that helps guide those young performers along, but I, I, I couldn't help but be impressed by Henry Thomas yourself. Uh, I mean, as a character, I, I just like how he's such a kid. I mean, yeah, like a relatable a kid. kid. He he doesn't understand maybe necessarily the reality of his father's departure. Oh, he's just in Mexico uh-huh. and I'll see him again soon. He, and he's still trying to fit in with his older brother and his friends. And, you know, when he first lets E.T. inside, he shows him around the room the way you'd expect a kid to, focusing yeah. on things that aren't important to you and me. But no. at that stage in your life. It has significance. Yeah. Things like action figures, things like your pet fish, mm-hmm. like Pez dispensers. I mean, things that have, yeah. that, that have no meaning, but it's it it's in the room, and this is my room, mm-hmm. so I'm going to show you to my room. And that's exactly right. how Elliot behaves. I like how, um, just, and I say this as a school teacher, I like how middle of the bell curve he was. We see a lot of, you know, um, we see a lot of youth portrayals in films where they're either a certain quirk dialed to 12 just for the sake of being a quirky, unique character and kid. Or we see some kid stereotype character or performance where they're smarter than the room, mm-hmm. you know, where, where, you know, that, that classic thing where the kids that aren't listened to are the disenfranchised style of character who just happens to be this, you know, a really smart kid that no one notices. He, he just seems nice, ordinary, not too dumb just right in the wheelhouse of normal and i i would i'm impressed by that where they didn't need to over 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 varnish him with 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 quirks and characteristics they just made him a kid his quirks were just to him being himself right and then the the sense of responsibility he comes to feel for et he he says during the mm-hmm. laboratory scenes, you know, he came to me, oh. you guys are killing him. Yeah. He came to me, let me be responsible for him. Let me yeah. decide what is best for him. And I, I have more to say about that a little bit later in regards to themes and relevance. But to yeah. me, that's him growing up. That's him sort of taking the role of his father in caring for somebody else. And Absolutely. Uh, I, I love that about his character and that he literally grows up, uh, while E.T. is there and learns from him and learns to sort of move on with his life in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I know this. I, I don't think anyone's ever going to put this on the coming of age, you know, movie shelf, but mm-hmm. it deserves to. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it's probably thought thought of as being a, a sci fi fantasy classic first, but no, it's a legit even though, even though it's a small arc, even though it's a, it probably takes place over three days of time. It's a true coming of age story for sure. Now, what about just E.T. as a character? Oh, man. Um, I, I, I like that that um, 
well, gosh, he's got you with his eyes. You know what <laughs> I'm what saying? And what about the Where... reveal of those eyes? Oh, I mean, just the, mm-hmm. the body shape first and then fingers yeah. pointing at plants or around corners and his footprints. I think I think that's another layer where like a lot like Elliot and a lot like Henry Thomas's performance, this isn't a or again, overproduced or over a dynamic uh, extraterrestrial creature. I think in we've seen other films since and before that really feel like they have to make it be so daring, unique, edgy, flashy, just to, for the sake of being edgy and flashy. And here we have a barely legged, floppy footed, long neck, gangly, pudgy looking <laughs> little blob. I mean, it's not a very charismatic, so to speak, um, figure, but it's just, it, that's where it's not the it's not the exterior it's the interior it's the it's the conveyance and the way that it just acts that says more about it than its looks and I, I I'm impressed by that right we we get the full face at the same time Elliot finds him in the cornfield and so we have that moment <laughs> of discovery with Elliot which is again Spielberg putting us in the perspective of this child and experiencing Absolutely. things with him. And watching E.T. sort of figure things out, again, reading the Buck Rogers comics, playing around with the Mm -hmm. speak and spell and watching the TV and taking away things from that, thinking about the phone, putting it all together, learning to talk. This is an intelligent life form, and he's learning at a very quick pace, and we are sort of understanding what he he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish during his time Mm -hmm. on Earth, and that's to get away, to get back to the people he loves. And even though it's an intelligent life form, there's still a fragility to him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not this over dominant, you know, amazing alien thing that's just indestructibly present. You know, uh, it's it's fragile. You know, and I I like that. You know, that it's there's risk and peril for for his fears. Or if ET is a he, I think I remember reading that it's not any gender, but um, and that ET's fears are are just as parallel to the to Elliot's, and instead of just this. Again, same. We've seen other aliens and other in other stories be the be the dominant flashy thing, and it's nice that it's parallel and equal. Well, he's dependent on Elliot. The reason, oh, sure. the whole reason he sort of reveals himself to Elliot and stay, sticks around with Elliot is because Elliot sought him out and fed him Reese's pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is somebody who sort of provides for him and gives him a place to seek shelter. Um, mm-hmm. Now, at the start of the film, when his kind are still there and the spaceship's still there. We see how connected they are with each other. The glowing in their chest is some sort of signal. uh, And that I think makes the separation from them all, them leaving him behind all the more meaningful. And then beyond that, his subsequent connection with Elliot, even more powerful as well, because we Mm -hmm. see that he, he seeks these personal connections, these intimate connections, almost as a means of survival. Right. And to echo what you said before, all of that is done without wordy exposition. Mm-hmm. It's done through connection, time spent together, symbolism. It's really less is more, and it's really strong for that. And it, it always sort of hurts me watching E.T. forming this bond with Elliot, but still missing his own kind. There's a mm-hmm. moment where uh, they've taken the communicator to the bald spot in the forest, and Elliot says, you know, you don't have to go away. You can stay here and I can take care of you. But Mm -hmm. ET points at his heart and he says, ouch, you know, I Mm -hmm. I miss and I love my people. I miss my kind. Yet at the end, when his kind return, he says to Elliot, come. And Elliot has to accept the reality. No, I have things to do here. I have a family here, just like you have a family there. I have to stay. 
And yeah. there's that moment of understanding between the two of them and that wonderfully emotional hug between the two oh. of them as well oh. as E.T. wraps his arms around him and just sort of rubs him. Like it's such a powerful moment as they say goodbye and knowing that it's, it's goodbye. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> and then, and then there's the music selling every emotional moment of it. You know, I, I can't imagine what this film would be like in lesser hands than John Williams. It, it's just so one it's in lockstep with how we, absorb remember and feel this film with the music i i can't i can't picture it with with you know with with kishy 80s songs as if it's <laughs> guardians of the galaxy or i can't picture it with uh, i don't know just I, I don't know who could have got this sweep and yet still this innocence at the same time mm-hmm. uh, it's it's so perfect of a score do you have anything to say about mike or michael as a character I a little as big brother, you know, um, that's, that's a place where I saw as a lens for myself to see it. Um, I like how he comes around. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that he's got, he's a big brother with his own things. Um, but at the same time understands that his brother's there. And, and I like that he recognizes like during the shirt scene in the garage where, you know, he recognizes that his little brother's going through some stuff because of dad and, and that, you know, that, he has to support him on it, you know, as big brother and, and to see him rise to the occasion for, for, to, for the rescue portions at the end of the film is, is really encouraging that, that the character that started as kind of being snotty and dismissive in, in different, I, I keep saying the words in different films, but it, it, that could have stayed snotty and dismissive. All film is like a second sub pro, uh, antagonist, but, but didn't. And I, I like that that evolved so nicely. I like that he realizes that his mom's going through some stuff too. Uh, mm, he, he is yep. the bully older brother, but he's also trying to act as the the man of the house. And he's mm-hmm. looking out for his mother. And there at the beginning when they're eating dinner together, and Elliot mentions his father being in Mexico with Sally, I believe. I, I, I yeah. assume that's the woman he left the mother for. And Mike said, you know, shut up, man. Don't you care about how other people feel? And mm-hmm. he he's sensitive to the fact that his mother misses the father as well. Uh, so I, I, he he's stepping up into that that man of the house role. But once it is revealed that Elliot has found E.T., he does become the supportive older brother and dedicates himself to Elliot's protection and to E.T.'s protection and is willing to go leaps and bounds just to make sure everybody's taken care of. Yeah. How, now, how's Gertie for you to finish our round, our round of characters? Uh, she's so, she's so funny. I, I, yeah. I, I love how she teaches E.T. in certain ways and, oh, mm-hmm. let's, let's introduce you to Sesame Street. And, oh, yeah, I taught him how to talk and he knows how to talk now. And mm-hmm. it, she's such a cute character and how she interacts with E.T. and, again, in how her heart breaks for E.T. when he dies mm-hmm. and then as he says goodbye as well. Yeah. No, she, yeah, she's fabulous. Um, do you have anything to say about the mother? I don't have any detailed notes about Mary, but... No, um, I, I'm glad... I'm glad she also had a come around moment mm-hmm. by by the end of the film where, you know, obviously when her when her when her son is lost and she's worried, that's a nice scene to know that she she notices, especially, you know, a few scenes after not noticing a thing, including the alien standing in her own kitchen. <laughs> um, so um, and I and this is going to sound like a parent thing for me, but um, during that hug moment, you know, at the end of the film, when she falls to her knees with that realization of 
look at my son over there care for something other than himself or look at my son find fulfillment in love where obviously it's been lacking for him where she watches her son's cup fill so to speak Mm -hmm. and to watch her hit her knees of just of just i don't know not not shock or dismay but just shared feels you know Mm -hmm. i i enjoy that moment from her where that it felt so it just matched where we were is being crushed. It wasn't a facial expression. It wasn't a hand on a heart. It wasn't an exasperated sigh or an aww. It was release. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the way D. Wallace played that scene. Yeah, that moment got to me as well. It's almost like you're, you're witnessing her heartbreak for her son's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> man, oh, man. <laughs> uh, now, the last sort of character or characters I have okay. to mention is Keys. Um, and his associates, you know, from the start of the film, they're very well established as antagonists. And I'm I'm Mm -hmm. careful to use the word antagonist rather than villains because these aren't necessarily bad guys. Um, yeah, but we, we have the focus of the camera on the keys on his belt and the searching for ET and he gets his own musical motif that is very clearly established every time him or the people he's associating with appear. And we don't, that bassoon shows up. Right. And we don't see any of their faces until keys shows up in the house towards the end of the film and so these are literally just almost things rather than people until that moment where keys shows up and they he he reveals as himself as somebody who's sort of dreamed of this along with elliot i know uh that's the part that that connects for me is that you know it would it could have been really easy to leave him be a strong antagonist but for when when he shares with Elliot, I've been dreaming of this too, since I was 10 years old, you know, it, 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 it all of a sudden sends that thought bubble and question mark in our brains as an audience, like, whoa, the, he, this is a supporter, not an opponent. Mm-hmm. Or at the same time, if you're really going to get trippy, you know, has, has he, has, was he a boy meeting this a similar alien at some point previous in a different time? Like if you wanted to, if someone wanted to get really meta about all that, you really could. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not saying alien abduction craziness where all of a sudden he's grown up to be this government spook trying to get rid of all that, but makes you wonder, gives you pause. And I, I admire that way. Right. And once he's revealed his face and after E.T. dies, the others start taking their masks off as as well. And Mm -hmm. I think it's the first moment where you see everybody else having uh, sympathy for respect the moment for Uh other life. They 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 see him as a life form rather than as a specimen. Uh, So that's Mm -hmm. a powerful moment. But the whole fact that Keyes has compassion for Elliot and his relationship with E.T. He says, I'm glad he met you first. I'm glad that he that you were there to look after him. Yep. And then coming along with Mary just for the spectacle of things. He's not one mm-hmm. of the ones trying to reclaim E.T. to dissect him in nope. a laboratory. He's there. Nope. Not trying to stop anything either. Like along for the ride. Witness. Right. To he's witness. there to, to yep. witness this thing that, as he says, he's been dreaming of since he was a kid as well. And so I, I really mm-hmm. like Keys as a character in the same way as Mike or as Mary. They come around in the end. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Any other character things to talk about? Not for me. I'm good. Um, I, I, I know it, it's a famous deleted character and scene. I know uh, Harrison Ford was supposed to be the headmaster of this school. He was the husband of the screenwriter, Melissa Matheson, at the time. And I know it, it would have been a distracting takeaway to be like, oh, wow, look at that. It's Harrison Ford in, in a film full of unknowns. So I'm glad he's not here as the headmaster of school, but it would have been a fun 
you know, um, you know, mom and dad called, well, not mom and dad, but mom and son called to the principal's office and it's Harrison Ford. I can only imagine how fun that scene could have been, but it, it truly would have been exploitative and in a different movie. Yeah. It would have been very distracting. I think. Yeah. Uh, now as far as music goes, I have to echo what you were saying a moment ago that I think this is a John Williams score and theme that makes me the most emotional. Um, I think so too. That that bike chase yeah. music might be my favorite <sighs> action adventure sequence of all time. I feel all of the mm-hmm. emotions every time I watch, all the way to the closing moments of the movie. It, it, per, I, I wrote in my notes, perhaps the best closing music of all time. The the power I think it is. and the emotion yeah. of those final musical, mo- just those final final musical moments. It's so powerful the way Williams has composed that and the way it matches the visuals on the screen. I'm in lockstep with you. I, I think it's the best mu- closing musical moments of, of any film I've ever seen. You know, the, um, that track, that, 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 that chase slash finale track. I was uh, on the drive to the theater uh, for, the, for the screening last week. I was listening to that. And I'm crying in my car just <laughs> listening to the music without the visuals because the music is just so good. So, oh, yeah, um, I, I like that. I like the way it is rousing where, I mean, it, 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 it's an excitable score mm-hmm. on one level, but at the same time, it, it, it capitalizes that excitement with emotion because a bike chase, you know, in shouldn't shouldn't make us cry but here we are crying you know so i i i don't know what chord he strikes that's just so perfect but it's good and then and then to go from before the 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 musical motif they give they give keys where almost in peter the wolf style you know he gets he gets the bassoon and 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 it's not his imperial march by any means but just the the like you said that the variety of motifs and the skill of williams to do that his work is just so layered where i i can't I don't feel like I'm listening to repetitive cues anywhere. A lot of film music today feels a lot like filler or feels like the same, you know, eight bars of something repeated over and over again, where there's just not depth and there's not layers, but here, but in this film between what keys is with the bassoon and the way that different things are used in different places. And then when it all flushes to the last 15 minutes and just bursts, it's just, it's amazing. I, 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 when I try to, I, I, I find myself attempting to rank this stuff every now and then. And I, I, I don't know if, if E.T. is his best, because he's had so many. I don't know if it's, if it's his best score of all time. Those last 15 minutes really sell it. I, I'm, I'm a Superman fan when it comes to his score because there's more of it all film. And it still has the variety of all the motifs and all that. But, man, it's good. It is good. And, you know, all, all the little themes, too, the... I, I call it the twinkle theme. I'm sure there's a, mm-hmm. a proper term for it, but it's I love that from the very moment it first appears in sort of like the opening yeah. credits. Um, we, we've got the eerie music that sort of establishes this as uh, sci-fi, uh, almost horror film-esque in certain aspects. Right. And then as the aliens, the E.T. E- life forms start appearing, we get that first rendition of the twinkle theme and it sort of comes to represent et himself and then you've got Mm -hmm. the adventures on earth theme and you've got the bike chase theme and they they do culminate in those final 15 minutes Mm -hmm. um and it it is one of the few pieces in the world that i think could honestly make me cry every time i hear it 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 is so powerful oh man speaking of things that make you cry um (laughs) 
when you when you dive into things that are deeper themes and relevance and, and emotional takeaways and things like that um what do you take away from this film on that kind of existential larger level well just one of the smaller ones first uh, discovery for the for discovery's sake rather than for the dissection <laughs> of it i think is one of the the more on the nose themes of the film but on a bigger picture scale growing up you know, e- yep. E.T. arrives at a time in these kids' lives when home is rough because their father is gone and they're they're sort of arguing with each other as brothers and they, they cling to this idea that he's somewhere, but really he's sort of unattainable. But in finding E.T., Elliot learns responsibility for someone else, focusing on others rather than on yourself, and that sometimes people leave and it's not your fault. They just have right. other places to be. And that, that applies to him in regards to his father. And that regard that applies to him in regards to E.T. as well. Uh, it's right. not Elliot's fault that they're leaving. He, he had this relationship with them and it was time for them to move on for one reason or another. But that, that's just part of growing up. Right. I think I, 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 I'll spin that into the idea of just and I, to connect it more to the to the technical aspect as well of one takeaway for me is seeing things from a child's point of view, you know, um, just uh, not just that camera level, but just the Elliot's experiences and even the symbiotic relationship were, were, were given between the two characters, E.T. and Elliot, just that, you know, this is one of those movies that doesn't go over a child's head because it goes straight to their head, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, a, in such a great way where the stances of adults are secondary, that this is about how the kids feel about it. And I really admire that, that, that thematic level to where how they're going to go with that agreed and, and then really another big one for me is this concept of true friendship and connection with yes. others you know i think a lot of times we're friends with people because we interact with them regularly rather than because we have any sort of meaningful relationship with them and sometimes it's even just because of what we can get from them and that is not mm-hmm. at all the friendship between elliot and et in this movie they share a literal connection they're, they're yeah. both alone and they're both sort of cast out from their peers intentionally or not. And the bond they form with each other is one of mutual support and admiration. It's love, truly. And that's, yes, that's what is. I think lies at the center of true friendship. I've got best friends that I've known since high school and I, I live with one of them. I lived with another one for seven years. And the, the friendship I have for those guys is one of love. Uh, they, they are my best friends because I have a meaningful relationship with them and i think that's what the the movie is really emphasizing with those two characters mm-hmm. no um i know you're right every movie has a lesson being kind of the niche and the theme of my site um i i always frame these as life lessons and, and yeah number four the closing lesson of my review is the bonds of special friendship right along the same lines of what you're talking about mm-hmm. i think the other takeaway for me is um um the last one and kind of on my list a little bit is um i call it the strong desire to be home and have a home mm-hmm. Um, because this is this is still your um, I know it's kind of this isn't quite home is where the heart is in terms of like a craft store kind of sign. But um, but E.T.'s kind of left behind and really longs to return home. Like you said before, like as much as he's having a fantastic bond with Elliot, his hurt and his ouch is the, is homesickness. Mm-hmm. And and you don't get that way without having a special attachment to a home that's beyond the basic human need for just shelter, you know, and, and Elliot's having that too, where this doesn't feel like home right now. It might be the same house that he's been in and things like that. And obviously mom, brother, you know, mom, Michael and Gertie are all there, but it's not the same and something is missing. And, and the, the, the cohesive full family unit was his sense of home and he's not, ha- and he doesn't have it. So 
between the strong sense of sense of home with Elliot and E.T. to 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 be home and have a home really rang for me. Right. And his relationship with E.T. strengthens his relationship with his family, too, because they are sort of all in it together. So, yeah, yeah that, that's great. By the end of the film, I think he does see his home with these three, even absent of his father, as a true home. Mm-hmm. Any other final closing thoughts that you haven't said yet about the movie or anything else? Um, I know um, one of the notes you put kind of at the end of themes was the, um, the relevancy of this film culturally. You know, um, then I think it, we were in that sprawling post 70s 80s time where star wars made it okay to really enjoy fantasy and have alien films and that that were cuddly and interesting and all that because this would have been between empire strikes back and 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 the return of the jedi a year later and where it was okay and it was cool to be a science nerd and have aliens we were it was post apollo america with a space program and all that we were in space shuttle 80s and so i i think this came at a time where the the iron was hot for science fiction, and it played and it played so well uh, in that way. I don't know. Um, I don't know how this film would play if if it came out now. I don't know. Have you given that kind of any thought, or I'll pitch that question right back to you. That that is a good question. Whether it would do as well, it, it certainly doesn't have the the adventure spectacle of something like infinity war just to, to right. apply it to something in theaters now, but, or, or even how to train your dragon, right. like the, the whiz bang pow of kids films now is just so much more frenetic and faster than this film. I don't know how it would play. Right. I, I don't know. I think if you get to a certain point in the movie, if you can get somebody to sit still and watch until honestly, the, the Halloween scene, probably, yeah. I, I think if you can make it to that point, you're enthralled for the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, um, do you think it has, um, what am I, I guess what I, what I would stand away and say this, um, how does it feel in a societal way to you? Is this, I feel like there's a a voice to the single parent household thing that kind of comes out of this where I think that would ring true today, but, but yeah, I don't know if the the busybody part would go. I'm not sure. Hmm. I I do agree with the single parent household there. This is in a way saying that that's okay. You know, I, I was yeah. doing a little bit of research earlier. This is sort of a, a self-portrait of Stephen in a lot of ways mm-hmm. in echoing, I've read that as well. in echoing his events of his childhood and being alone in certain respects and having yeah. that divorced, uh, th- that divorced parenthood in his life. So, uh, yeah, I, I know, I know this is a trashier question. Could this film be remade today? Ooh. <laughs> uh, I hope they never. I touch hope it. they don't either. I I can't yeah. imagine E. T. as anything other than the the sort of puppet thing he mm-hmm. is in this movie. Yeah, I know. Did you see or have you seen the version that came out for its uh, I think twenty fifth anniversary back when I uh, yeah nineteen oh no twentieth anniversary two thousand two. I know Spielberg kind of did the George Lucas thing and, and came in and kind of digitally tinkered it a little bit. Were you okay with that, or are you one of those folks who were like, oh man, now you you kind of you kind of painted on something that didn't need any more paint? Well, I was looking out for it specifically because what in that release. Uh, it was the DVD release and he edited mm-hmm. out the guns into walkie talkies, right? Yeah. Well, I have the Blu-ray 30th anniversary, I suppose, or maybe 35th. I, don't I do know. as well. And they have the guns back. So, yeah. And it makes sense to me because there's actually a specific line said by uh, the mother, by Mary about the guns. Oh, don't use the guns. And I can't, ima- I, I don't know if they cut that for that release so that it made sense yeah. or I don't know. Um, I'm glad that they fixed it for the blu-ray release mm. uh yeah no, it's 
that that's the 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 yeah the tinkering i wonder if we play or not so no i know you 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 kicked us towards final thoughts so um i'll, I'll borrow your question here um i don't know what impact has the movie made on your life i don't know if it's made an impact so much like uh, this is something that i think about daily in sure in that way it, it's, it's a movie that makes me feel a lot and i think mm-hmm. anything that makes me feel a lot in one way or another is just important to me you know i yeah i i like feeling things that's why i watch movies and i i'm a firm believer in if you don't let yourself feel things while you watch something while you watch a movie then you're not experiencing it the way it's supposed to be experienced and so i well when i watch a movie if it's going to make me cry it's going to make me cry and i i don't really Mm -hmm. care who sees or anything like that i'm i I will openly weep at anything and this one just happens to make me weep a lot more than a lot of others so (laughs) that's okay with me no, for for me, this is this will stand as a bar setter in terms of, uh, I guess, a measuring stick to other, child, you know, children's fantasy like you said, How to Train Your Dragon and other films like that. Um, I look at the simplicity and mm-hmm. the and like we said before, the minimalist in terms of exhibition and just the or ex, exposition, I should say, and the technical qualities of this film. I, I put this film on a as a critic and also as a just a viewer. Um, I put this up on that kind of pedestal as. How 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 are other films of this particular genre, or even science fiction, how do they measure up to something that's just so pitch perfect like this film is? So this is the, for me, this is always on the list of, well, it ain't E.T. You know, it's <laughs> right. always that hard act to follow kind of film where, you know, it's all this is the thing that's always better than another thing I see where I don't think anything's sniffed this being close. I've had emotional feels involving teens or kids in other films like a recent example that just crushed me was um a monster calls mm-hmm. um where you know a child with cancer and he has these visions of the tree and all that and that film oh, that was an <laughs> ugly cry disaster too but but not like this this is these are this is a happy tear film thank goodness yeah. you know so it's a hard act to follow um i know pixar really tries because they have that pixar punch where they can get some films that involve kids involve great themes that that really punch punch the tear ducts but i don't know i don't know if any of them have this level so for me it's a big time measuring stick yeah i I can certainly agree with that does this movie make me feel more than et does (laughs) Mm -hmm. and as genuine and it's hard as et does yes yeah it's 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 I expect it to evolve for me more, and I, I know I said it earlier, as a parent, I, I can't wait for my kids to see this film someday, and I hope they absorb it in the same way I did, even if it's rough the first time with, with just fear you know, and, and trepidation, but I hope they come back to it someday and be like, wow, look at those feels, and you know, there's really something going on there, so. Yeah. This will certainly be a film that I show my kids one day, when and if, mm-hmm. hopefully I do have them, so. Take your time. Yeah. Take your <laughs> no time. No rush at the you, moment. The, you, know, the, 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 you know, I got five and three or five-year-old and three-year-old plenty, plenty, whew, yeah, <laughs> the, the, plenty going on there. Yeah. Well, with that, that is the end of the official 77th episode of Cinescope. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, John. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash Cinescope podcast and at Cinescope pod on Twitter. Please continue to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes to help with visibility. And if you have feedback or ideas, you can email me at thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. Now, Don, where can people find you online? 
Uh, search for me anything that uh, that shows up for every movie has a lesson. So every movie has a lesson dot com. You can search that also on uh, Twitter and on Facebook. I have a the fan page that there, and obviously Twitter doing whatever it does there. Um, I'll send a shout out to um, a new social media app that's kind of going around that uh, our buddies at Feel and Film have kind of turned me on to. There's this new thing. Um, I think it's called Stardust, mm-hmm. where you're supposed to kind of do these little hot take video. Um, you know little social shares of stuff like that. So if you can search for the uh, user uh, movie lessons, because my title is too long. (laughs) So um, if you search for movie lessons on Stardust, you'll find me there. But most of the time, it's just every movie has a lesson. Okay. The best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And there is my other podcast, which has thankfully still been going regularly. That is a podcast where we talk about the... Uh, the Office from NBC, the television show uh, ended five years ago. We just finished season four. We're starting season five next week. We're getting close wow. to that halfway point, uh, and it's a lot of fun. I talk with my friend Katie every week on that show. You can find out where podcasts can be found and at workplacepodcast.com. That is an American workplace. And show notes for this show, uh, including the, that review from Roger Ebert and that video featuring Spielberg and Williams that I mentioned, will all be uh, available at the in the show notes and the contact information, uh, thecinescopepodcast.com. And that's all for this week. Maybe a little bit rusty, but thank you so much, Don, for coming ah, back for uh, the uh, return of Cinescope. You're very welcome, Chad. It's, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, anytime you need another guy again, I'll be happy to fly in the co-seat with you. Excellent. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Episode 77. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with Episode 78. Have fun and celebrate movies. Mm-hmm.